Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing series on prayer. Appreciate you joining us tonight. With me is Jeff. Jeff, how are you tonight? Uh, doing pretty well. Looking forward to a continuation of our study and getting even deeper into it. Yeah, Alan, uh, welcome to you as well. And uh, we are marching our way along here. This is episode number six in this series. And one might think that it'd uh, be hard to talk about, you know, six different things on prayer, but it just kind of shows how multifaceted it is, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Um, the gospel, of course, is God's revelation to us about what we need to do in order to come back to him as his faithful and devoted children. And as we noted in our very first lesson, we have to learn to listen to God. The only reason Jesus had to die on the cross is because we don't know how to listen to God. We don't know how to submit to God. So God wanted it to be a fellowship in which we would listen to him. And as we learn to listen to him, we also learn how he wants us to talk to him. And that draws us near to God. So clearly, listening to God's word is a, a multifaceted topic, and so also is talking to God. And so the more we want to hear and listen to him, and the closer we can draw to him, you know, drawing from that verse we talked about, draw near to God, and in sowing, so doing, he can draw near to us. So as we draw closer to him with our love, our gratitude, our praise, that's when Jesus comes in saying, be sure to hallow his name. Don't just take his gifts and don't just look upon him as a great and majestic creator without verbalizing it. And so that's one of the purposes of prayer. Purposes of prayer is to praise God, honor God, thank God. And so uh, most, most of the time, these are things we don't think about unless we're really listening to God's word. Most, most people see prayer as just an opportunity to ask God for the things they need. And of course it is that, but for the devout, for the godly, for those who, like Cornelius, want their prayers to go up as a memorial to God, there's so much more to prayer, so much more that we can make of it. And in the process, if we learn how to pray the way God has asked us to pray, we will become his devout children, and we'll stand with people like Abraham and Moses and Job and Sarah and Mary. It's just a wonderful opportunity to draw near to God. So, Alan, in our last podcast, you spoke of a uh, important distinction that we need to make while we're praying to God. If you don't mind, could you quickly review uh, that and sort of the uh, the last week's lesson to sort of bring our listeners up to date tonight? Yeah, I think it's critical that we do that, Jeff, because these two lessons go hand in hand. Uh, the real hub or sum or summary of our last lesson would be First John chapter five verses 14 and 15. And Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Yes. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And, and that pretty well summarizes what we talked about in our last uh, podcast, that prayer brings great confidence because we know that he will hear us in whatever we ask. But James, excuse me, John makes it very clear that it's only if we ask according to his will. So when we are praying to God and we know it's God's will for what, what, that what we're praying for is something he wants us to have, then we can pray with boldness. And the the, the summation, really, of last week's uh, lesson was that when we know, when we take the verses where God has told us, this is what I want you to pray, and this is what I'll do, then when we ask for those things, we can ask very confidently. So I'm sure some of our listeners would like to better understand how we can know what is according to God's will and, and what is not. Uh, can you elaborate on that some more for us, Alan? Yes, yeah. 
And and I would really encourage our listeners to maybe review that last podcast because we we spent so much time on that. And sometimes it's unfortunate that we just can't go from one to the next to the next because when you have a period of time between the two, sometimes you forget those points. So, uh, Jeff, would you like to read James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, so that we can kind of lay out this idea of knowing it's God's will versus not knowing it's God's will? Certainly. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, in this passage, we see in verse 5, if you lack wisdom then you can ask God, and God promises to give to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So with this verse, I know it's God's will for me to ask for wisdom. And because I know it's God's will that I ask for wisdom, I can go before him confidently, and I can know that he will give me what I've asked for. If we review quickly what John said, He said that the confidence we have is that if we ask according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Well, that's what James is saying here. James is saying that if you lack wisdom, God has asked you to ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you liberally, and it will be given to you. I can't think of a verse that's more clear in emphasizing that if you ask for wisdom, it's my will, and I will definitely give it to you. And then God makes it clear in verse 6 that we can't afford to doubt. We cannot have any doubt. If God has told us to ask for something, and we ask for it, we need to have confidence that we're going to receive it. And if we don't have that confidence, then what he says in verse 6 is we're like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then comes the the threat or the terrible consequence of not having this faith, and that is, let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. Now, what makes him a double-minded man? Because he's asked God for something that God has promised to give, and then after he asked for it, he has doubt as to whether or not God will give it to him or not. So when God tells us, here's what I want you to pray for, then I know that makes it God's will. And then I have to be confident and I have to have this uh, faith and trust that God will give me exactly what I'm asking for. So basically, in in a small nutshell, are you saying that everything God has told us to pray for in the scriptures is, quote unquote, according to his will? Well, since the scriptures reveal the will of God, and when the scriptures tell us to pray for certain things and promise that God will answer that prayer, then yes, that's exactly, that's the parameter that James has, or excuse me, that John has left for us. The parameter is, if we ask according to his will. So there's only one way for me to know if it's according to his will or not, and that's to read it in the scriptures. I'm not going to know what God's will is on anything in my life unless I have a scripture that tells me exactly what he wants me to do. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if God hasn't spoken on something, then I'm not walking in faith when I ask for it. And when I can't walk in faith, then I have to be careful how I ask. Let's look at another example of asking according to his will. Uh, Brian, would you read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, please? Uh, yes, here it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this would be the question. Is it God's will that I tell him I'm sorry, that I admit that I was wrong, that I confess that this sin that I just committed was a horrible thing, and would you please forgive me? And, well, what's his will at that point? Well, his will is he's faithful and just 
to forgive us. So when I pray for mercy, when I pray for forgiveness, when I confess my sins to God with a humble, contrite, penitent heart, then I already know he's forgiven me. I don't even have, I can come with boldness. Now, that sounds a little unusual when you think about it. When we do something wrong and we ask somebody to forgive us, we usually come with the hope that they will forgive us. If it's a friend or a, or a, a co-worker, we don't really know what they're going to do, but we hope they're going to forgive us. But with God, we know it. We know he is faithful and just to forgive us. So when we ask anything according to his will, like asking for wisdom, like confessing our sins, then we know we have that petition and we can be bold. We can be confident. We can have a, a sense of knowledge that God is going to answer that particular prayer. And there's lots of scriptures like this throughout, throughout the, uh, the New Testament. Uh, another one we looked at last week uh, was in Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13. Um, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Okay. Of course, this is Jesus speaking. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So when I pray these words, I can have confidence. I know God wants to give me my daily bread. I know he wants to forgive me of my debts, and I know he does not want me to be led into temptation and wants to deliver me from the evil one. So when I pray that prayer, I'm under the command of 1 John chapter 5. I'm under the command of if we ask anything according to his will, we know we have the petitions, and so we are confident. And so there is an entire section of scriptures on this. And Jesus sums them up in the next chapter when he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And that that's not, some people think, well, this is just a blank check. We can ask God for anything we want. And now Jesus has told us he'll give it to us if we just ask him. But that's not within the purvey or the scope of what that verse is dealing with. The verse that we need to understand, and, and uh, I just can't emphasize this enough to all of our listeners, is that we need to understand that when we come to God with requests, we need to be humble and we need to be very careful about what we ask for. However, if God has already told us to ask for it, then we can be confident, but we have to understand that there is a, another section or another large uh, amount of things that we ask for that we don't know whether it's his will or not. So, Alan, to help illustrate this point, what scriptures would you use to discuss our attitude toward those requests that we have in prayer where God has not told us his will? Yeah, Brian, that's a, that, I, th I think the best place that I would start with that would be in the comparison between what God's outlook toward my life in this world is versus what my outlook toward my life and this and, and his plans are. So, uh, Brian, why don't you read Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 for us, please? Here it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a very humbling passage of scripture because it puts us into perspective. God is eternal. God lives in the spiritual realm. God has an eternal purpose that he is working out. He has infinite power to create the heavens and the earth just by speaking it into existence. His thoughts are different from our thoughts. His plans are different. His goals are different. And his emotions are different. Sometimes we're selfish. God is never selfish. Sometimes we are doing things for the wrong reason. God never does anything for the wrong reasons. So when we ask God for things, we need to realize that we are speaking to our Creator. And our Creator knows everything. And He sees the future. And he knows exactly what my request might bring into my life 
And he also knows what his plans are and how he plans to use us. And perhaps what I'm asking for is going to hinder his plans or it's going to cause some problems for me. So when when I pray to God, I have to understand I'm not talking to my husband or wife. I'm not talking to my children. I'm not talking to friends or co-workers. I'm talking to the creator of the universe. And that alone, and that's why we start by hallowing his name, and we start by giving him thanks, because we need to put the, the proper perspective on our prayers. And that is that we are speaking to our creator, our redeemer, our savior, our Lord, our, uh, our God. And he tells us, I don't think like you think. And I don't act, I don't, my ways are not your ways. So when we come before God in prayer for things that he has not told us what his will is, we need to have a very different attitude. Confidence at that moment would be completely inappropriate. So Alan, would you uh, tend to view Jesus' prayer in the garden, a garden of Gethsemane, uh, as perhaps an example of that? Yeah, I think that's a perfect example, Jeff, because Jesus is divine. Jesus is eternal. Jesus' ways are God's ways. But while he was in the human form and he was thinking with human emotions, even he found himself in a situation where he was begging God to remove the cup that he knew he had to drink. Uh, Jeff, why don't you read uh, uh, Luke 20, 22, verse 41, please? Okay. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus' will here is, I don't want to have to die on the cross. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be spit upon. I don't want to be whipped or scourged. I don't want to have to carry the cross. I don't want to have nails in my hands and in my feet. And and let's face it, who would want that? Uh, Jesus was acting very much like you and I. And I think the reason that, that this is in there is to show his humanity. He did have, he was uh, something we can't, can hardly conceive of. It's incomprehensible. He was all God and all man. And so he was working with both of his natures and this is what came out now if jesus finds himself in a situation where what he wants may be different and i say maybe because when we do it we don't know but in his case he knew that his will was not god's will and so he wanted god to overrule him and i think that's the perfect way that we need to pray for things when we don't know what god wants in our lives remember he knows everything he knows the future he knows his plans for us he knows what we need maybe we need to go through a tribulation we're begging god to take us out of that tribulation and yet god says i need you to go through this because all chastening doesn't seem for the moment to be joyous but grievous but afterwards it yields peaceable fruit so sometimes the very thing I pray to God that won't happen to me is the very thing that needs to happen to me in order for me to grow. And that's exactly, I think, what Jesus is emphasizing here. Uh, the Hebrew writer tells us this. He says he, he cried out to God with strong cries and pleas, and he was heard because of his godly fear. However, though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And so Jesus needed to drink the cup, but he didn't want to drink the cup. However, he didn't want to drink the cup was less important to him than doing God's will. And that's what we're dealing with here. Whenever I ask God for something that's out of the scriptures, just something that I want, maybe uh, I'm sick and I want to be healed. Maybe I'm poor and I'd like to be wealthier. Or maybe I'm in a situation where people are mistreating me and I'd like for that to stop. And so I'm begging and pleading with God. But as I beg with and plead with God, it can't be with confidence because I don't know God's will yet. And if I don't know God's will, then I have to be careful because it's a very different attitude. Remember what John said again. This is the confidence we have. 
If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, clearly, Jesus doesn't have that confidence here. He's not praying this confidently. He is praying this with humility. He is praying this with an understanding that this prayer is going to be answered with no. This is not a prayer that God is going to be able to answer. It is a legitimate prayer. It is a good prayer. But it is a prayer that where God is going to say, Jesus, I, I'm sorry, I have, you have to go through this suffering. And I want, and, and in the end, it will yield some of the most wonderful fruit. So God is, is very clear that we need to have confidence if he's told us what he's going to do. But we need to have humility if we uh, are not sure exactly what God's will is. Yeah, so Alan, I, you know, I think a good example for our listeners to consider in the Old Testament would be in Esther when she needs to go talk to the king and doesn't know exactly uh, what is God's will. She asked uh, for, for her brethren to pray for her. And so over in uh, Esther 4, beginning in verse 14, it says, for if, and this was Mordecai, by the way, just to kind of frame this, um, telling Esther why it was important for her to go before the king on behalf of the people. So here Mordecai says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Alan, she was kind of in a tough spot, right? She didn't necessarily know, as we said, it was God's will. And really, once again, risked her own life by doing so. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And that's what I love about that book is that she's in exactly the same situation as we are. Uh, oftentimes a situation arises and we don't, we don't exactly know what God's will is. On a, and so when we don't know what God's will is, then we have to talk like Esther talks here. She doesn't talk boldly. She doesn't say, I know God's going to save me. I know that I can go into the king. I know that God... She doesn't know because he hasn't told her. Oftentimes people will say to me, uh, what's the Lord's will on this? And I say, well, uh, God hasn't written me a letter. I don't know what his will is. When people want to know the will of God, they have to read it out of the scriptures. Because if it's not in the scriptures, then we're on our own. And we can beg to God, and we can plead with God, and we can hope that what we're doing is exactly what God wants. But like she said, maybe this is not what we think, and that if I go in and talk to the king, I'm going to perish. Now, does that violate 1 John 5? John said when you pray to God, you need to pray with boldness and confidence and know that you're going to receive the request. Well, that works perfectly. If God has said, this is what I want you to do, but in situations like this, and there's lots of situations like this in the scriptures, lots of passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where people are praying for something that uh, they don't know what God's will is. And sometimes God, as we saw last week with Moses, Moses asked God, would you please let me go into the promised land? And God said, don't talk to me about this again. You're not going in. So uh, Moses knew that it wasn't God's will, but like Jesus in the garden, he, he wanted to ask for it, and God didn't rebuke him for asking for it, but he said, no, no, you can't have that. And of course, we know the outcome here. God did want her to go in, and God did bless her with the king having a very kind heart, and not only meeting her with kindness, but telling her, I'll give you your request, whatever it is. But she didn't want to be presumptuous. She did not want to be confident. She wanted to be humble, respectful, submissive. And that's really the essence of what I, I think the scriptures are trying to get across to us. When we pray to our Creator, whose ways are not our ways, and whose thoughts are not our thoughts, we need to be very careful. Because First of all, as Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 6, he already knows the things you're going to ask for before you ask them. 
And he already knows whether he's going to say yes or not to the things that I'm asking for if I don't know what his will is. And so when I come to God, I am humble. I beg God. I plead with God. I ask God. I never demand and I'm never confident. I don't, I don't act like that. You know, it's interesting, Alan, because as you were talking, I was reminded of the situation with uh, Abraham you know, back in the Old Testament. Um, when he was you know, talking with God regarding uh, the cities of you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Genesis 18, to be a little more specific, you know, starting roughly uh, verse 23. And Abraham, and I, you're talking about humility. Yeah, that just kind of definitely pops out of this passage. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Should there be 50 righteous within the city, would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? So the Lord said, if I find inside of 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all. And of course, the conversation you know, continues to unfold. But uh, yeah, just the, uh, the attitude of you know, humility and uh, you know, trying to uh, you know, seek uh, a, you know, a positive outcome, uh, particularly for you know, Lot, since his nephew was down in the city. But uh, definitely a lot of humility. Exactly. And the fascinating thing about this passage is, once again, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. God already knew how many righteous people were in Sodom. And uh, he knew that there were less than 50, but he tells Abraham, if I find 50, I will definitely spare it. And then, uh, as you keep reading, as you pointed out, he then asks for 45, then for 40, then for 30, then for 20. And each time it's very humble, very humble. I, I would urge our, our listeners to read Exodus or Genesis 18 verses, uh, uh, actually from 23 until the end of the chapter, and, and see the humility, and yet see the, the uh, importunity here. He loves Lot. He wants to see Sodom stay, saved. He wants to do everything in his power to be a blessing to Lot, but as God patiently heard his prayer and promised to grant each request, still the answer ended up with no, no, Abraham, there weren't even 10. And of course, we know from the story that when the angels come into Sodom, even the son-in-laws won't go. It's just Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. So Abraham asked for 10. Sadly, there were only four. So God destroyed the, the city. And I don't believe Abraham was, was grumbling or saying, I don't know why God doesn't answer my prayers. I don't know why God didn't answer this for me. He wouldn't do that. And neither would we, or neither should we. Abraham prayed. God said, I will grant your request. But he still destroyed Sodom because there weren't 10 there. And so it wasn't that God didn't want to hear the prayer. It's not that he didn't hear the prayer. It's not that he didn't answer the prayer. The problem was the conditions couldn't be met. Abraham confidently, well, I won't say confidently, humbly asked for 10. Even if he'd gone to five, uh, it wouldn't have helped. He would have had to have said four, and how would he know to ask that specific number? And I suspect if he'd gotten down to four, God would have said, Abraham, I'm really sorry. I can't, I can't give you that request. So Abraham had knowledge, but not the knowledge that God had. God knew exactly what was going on there. And so Abraham, you know, I, I often think about these people who are living in an age where God has decided to destroy their nation. We saw that with Jeremiah. God had made the decision to destroy Jerusalem and destroy Judea. And yet Jeremiah was praying that God would spare them. And God finally told him, don't pray for this people. I, I'm not going to listen to this prayer because these people are so wicked. There's not, remember they, they, uh, Jeremiah was sent out in chapter 5. If you can find one righteous man in the whole city of Jerusalem, I'll spare, the, I'll spare it. Well, he couldn't find one. So not only were there not 10, there weren't four. There was just Jeremiah. No one else was even there. So 
and, and this often happens. Uh, we see it at the destruction of Jerusalem. There may have been some Christians who were praying that God would spare Jerusalem, and yet God had already made the decision he was going to destroy it. So uh, we have to be humble. We don't know God's plans. Uh, Paul said in uh, Acts 17 that God has determined the predetermined boundaries and limits of their habitation. So God knows when a nation is going to start, when it's going to end, and if we happen to be there when it's going to end, then our prayers are going to run up against God's will. And whenever that happens, that's exactly what we want. We want God to overrule our will if it's in his best interest or if it's in our best interest. You know, Alan, when you talk about, you know, God having plans, you know, that uh, hopefully reminds our listeners of the case of uh, Joseph, uh, likewise in the Old Testament, that, you know, in his case, you know, he didn't understand, you know, what was going on in the background, uh, understand what God's plans, uh, you know, providentially were. Um, and, you know, if he was praying, his prayers, you know, might appear to be unanswered as well. But at least according to, let me see, uh, yeah, here we go, Genesis chapter 50. Uh, when, when everything was all said and done, when he was looking in the rearview mirror, so to speak, you know, he could he could then see the, the plans. Uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph said to them, of course, he's talking to his brothers, who had originally sold him into slavery, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So in, in some ways, Alan, that's kind of a, you know, as, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, looking back, you might be able to see what you were praying for may or may not have been with God's will, but perhaps with the passage of time, you know, uh, God's plan becomes, you know, clearer uh, in, in hindsight or in retrospect. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Jeff. God had plans for Joseph. He, he, he gave Joseph the clue, but of course, who could have guessed it from that? You remember his two dreams. Uh, he dreamed that uh, his mother, father, and brothers would bow down to him. And he didn't know. His father even rebuked him for that dream, and his brothers were very envious of the dream. But what the dream was saying is, Joseph, you're going to come out of this uh, in a very powerful position. But when his brothers sold him into slavery, when he was sold into Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife lied and told, him, told her husband that he had tried to rape her, and the man threw him in prison, and then he's in prison for year after year. I think he was 17 when he was uh, sold into slavery, and I believe he was a little over 30. So for 13 years, and, and you think Joseph wasn't praying for deliverance? He's sold into slavery. He is bought. He is mistreated. He is thrown into prison. He sits in that prison, and I'm sure he's praying to God, and I'm sure he's wondering, 13 years I've been praying, and I'm still in prison. And then suddenly, here comes Pharaoh. I've had this dream. I don't understand it. Would you interpret it for me? All right, I'm going to make you second in the whole kingdom. No one is going to be under you except me. Now, think about that. God was planning this. He told in the dream. He knew what the future held. Joseph didn't. So whatever prayers Joseph was praying regarding deliverance, and although the scriptures don't tell us much about that, human nature. I mean, let's face it, if I was if I had been sold into slavery, I'd be praying to God that I would be delivered because I'm innocent and I don't deserve this. But Joseph never got angry, he never got bitter. He simply patiently endured and prayed, prayed for God's will, and then finally everything came together. So, Joseph's a perfect example of God knowing better than him. Joseph wanted freedom. But freedom would have kept him from becoming head over all Egypt. So he needed to be sold into slavery to get to Egypt. He needed to be thrown or, or sold to Potiphar. Potiphar needed to put him in prison, and he needed to be in prison so Pharaoh's butler and baker could meet him. And so he sums all this up in verse 20 when he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
And sometimes that's the case. Again, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, where he talks about the fact that God chastens those he loves. He said, we have fathers of our own flesh who disciplined us as seemed best for them, but God does it for our best interests. So when I get myself in troubling situations and I ask God to be uh, merciful and get me out of them, it may not be in my best interests. And the last thing I should be doing is boldly asking God or actually telling God. Uh, I'm reminded of Job who became very incensed with God because he wouldn't answer his prayers. And in the end of the discussion in chapter, at the end of the book, God rebukes him and he repents and he apologizes and he confesses his sin because he wasn't, he wasn't humble. He wasn't trusting God, and he didn't realize that God had his best interests at heart. Of course, he repented, and, and, and we need to learn from that. And so Joseph and Job are great examples of asking according to God's will and asking when you don't know God's will and realizing that when we don't know God's will, if we lose confidence in God, if we feel like God isn't answering our prayers, we're being very foolish and we're not being, we aren't listening to God. That's why we started this series with that. You've got to learn to listen to God first. If, if I just want to talk, 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 and I want to tell God what I think, but I won't listen to him, I'll never get the answer. But if I look at the scriptures and I carefully consider them, then I'll begin to understand. When I pray for things God has asked me to pray for, I know I have them. I ask for forgiveness, I ask for peace, I ask for wisdom, I ask for daily bread, I ask for God to, to be with the lost and help me to find the lost. I mean, all of these things God wants us to pray for and God has asked us to pray for and we know that he will hear and he will answer those prayers. But we get into situations like Abraham with, with Sodom and Gomorrah or like Esther when she's about to go into the king or here we have Joseph or even Job, we, we find that God has a better plan. And we need to trust him in that. When, when, when we stand before God on the judgment day and God finally reveals to us, here's what I was doing. And maybe he'll never do that, but it would, it would, if he did, if he did like he did with Job and say, here's, here's what I had in mind. Well, actually, he doesn't even tell Job. He just tells Job, you need to trust my judgment. And, and, Joseph, and Job finally says, I do trust your judgment. So when, we pray for our nation, or we, we need to pray like Abraham's prayer, or like Jeremiah's prayer. When, when, uh, when God is getting ready to do something, uh, we need to be prepared. I'm, I'm reminded of Habakkuk as well. Remember in Habakkuk chapter 1, he says, How long shall I cry, and you will not hear? The the nation is filled with violence, it is filled with ungodliness and unrighteousness, and God tells him, Habakkuk, I'm raising up Babylon to come in and destroy uh, Judea. So I am working a work that you wouldn't believe even if somebody told you. I'm doing what you are praying for. And of course, Habakkuk wasn't real happy because that wasn't the answer he was hoping for. He didn't want the whole nation to be destroyed. He just wanted the wicked to be destroyed. But when everyone is wicked, and the only way wicked can be destroyed, then we'll see a flood that takes away everyone but one family. Or we'll see a destruction like uh, Judea did, where only maybe 10,000 people were taken out of the entire country, and the rest of them were all destroyed. You know, it's interesting, Alan, that sometimes, you know, we will also ask God for something uh, where the scriptures tell us that we ask amiss, or, you know, some translations will say that, that we ask with the wrong motives. And as a result, God will not answer that prayer or grant that request. And thinking of James chapter four, where it says, you yet you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure so i guess there's a lot of different ways we can ask amiss or with the wrong motives but but certainly something we should consider right absolutely and, and that's a whole nother vista and a whole nother perspective of how we should look at our prayers remember we saw in isaiah 55 
that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Uh, sometimes I can actually ask God for something that would destroy me. I could actually ask God to do something for me that would not be in my best interests. And God is a God of love, and he won't do something that's going to hurt someone. He won't do something that's going to harm. And so when he says you don't have because you don't ask, he's talking about the things that God has revealed, like wisdom, like forgiveness of sins, uh, like daily bread. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And then he turns it around in verse 3 and says, you ask and don't receive. Now, for most people, that's a pretty, pretty uncomfortable situation where I ask God for something and I don't get it. Some people have been taught that God will give you anything you ask for. And this verse says, no, if you're really listening to me, if you want to hear what I have to say before you pray to me, then I want you to understand that you can ask and not receive because you're asking for the wrong thing for the wrong, with the wrong motive. And you're asking for things that have to do with this world. So when I start praying for wealth, or I start praying for long life, or I start praying for things that I don't know God's will, and maybe my motives aren't right. Maybe I don't want that wealth so I can continue serving God. Maybe I want the long life so that I can uh, do what I want to do, and God sees differently. I don't know if you remember the story of Hezekiah, but Hezekiah was told, put your house in order because you're going to die. And God uh, was being merciful to him. He was, he was godly, he was righteous, and God was saying, it's time for you to come home. And, but Hezekiah pleaded and begged and pleaded with God and asked for something different than God's will. God had said, it's time for you to die, but Hezekiah didn't want that. So he begged and pleaded, and God told Isaiah, go back and tell him, I'm going to give him 15 years. But the Bible tells us in the book of Second uh, Chronicles, he did not return according to the benefit that was done. In other words, once he got that life that he wanted, he became very wicked. And wrath came not only upon him, but upon the entire city of Jerusalem because they started getting involved with idols and they started getting involved with wicked things. And so Hezekiah was given by God's will the opportunity to leave this life pure, holy, godly, and prepared for eternity. Instead, Hezekiah wanted to spend it on his pleasures. And in this particular case, God allowed him to do that and now we see that sometimes God's will is better than our will. Sometimes when God says no, we'll find out on the judgment day, this is why, and we will thank God and we will praise God that, uh, that he has not answered the prayer the way that I wanted it answered. So when we're praying for the unknown, we don't know, we need to leave it in God's hands. And uh, so there's a couple passages that I think uh, as we uh, want to look at. The first one is in uh, Deuteronomy 29.29. And uh, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Sure. And, and as a matter of fact, this particular passage is one that, you know, those of us who work with the website and answer questions uh, honestly have to resort to a lot. Uh, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And I want you to think about this verse, because this verse is saying everything that we've been saying since the very beginning of our series on prayer. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, and the things that are revealed belong to us. So if we will listen to the things that are revealed and we will do the things that God has asked us to do, then we're going to be useful for him. We're going to be servants like Abraham, who was God's friend, or who, who like Job, I have no one like-minded. Uh, we're going to be very useful to God, like David, who always did serve the counsel of God and was a man after God's own heart because he wanted to do what God wanted him to do, so he was listening. But once we start talking, we start praying, then we have to realize that if it's revealed, then we can have confidence. If it is revealed, we know. 
But if it's not revealed, it's a secret. And the secret things belong to God, and those things are the things we're humbled about. So when I want something that God hasn't revealed, well, that's a secret thing. God knows what my life's going how my life is going to unfold. And I need to trust him that he knows how it's going to unfold, and I want it to unfold the way you want it to. And I don't want to pray for anything that would uh, turn upside down what you want. I want my life to be what you want it to be. And I want my prayers to be what you want them to be. And if I pray for things that are amiss, if I pray for things that I shouldn't be praying for, I want you to say no because I trust you. And Romans 11, Paul, summing up all of this, uh, says one of the most wonderful uh, things about God. Uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And of course, we would all say amen to that. Because when we think about it, starting in Genesis chapter 1, God is the one who started everything. We can't give anything to him. He created the heavens and the earth. He created my body. He created my soul. He is working with me and through me. And that uh, in and of itself should be such an honor to us that we're praising and glorifying him that we have even been allowed to work in his vineyard, to work in his kingdom. But we need to be humble. We don't know the mind of the Lord. We've never been his counselor. His judgments and ways, if they're not in the scriptures, they're unsearchable. We do not know. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We can't just sit down and say, uh, well, here's how I feel about this, and so I know God will feel the same way. You don't know, because God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That's why we don't want to change worship. That's why we don't want to change anything about the church, because we don't know. Only God knows. And the only way we can work with God is to listen to him. And so when we're praying, we need to take that into our prayers. We need to say, take the same humility and how we listen to God with how we talk to God. If I know what God wants for me to have, I can ask with confidence and I can know I'm going to receive it. And what a blessing that is to be able to pray and know that the peace of God will guard your heart and what to be able to ask for wisdom or forgiveness or mercy and for God to work in my life. Those are things I can pray for with confidence and they give perfect peace and comfort. But when I'm praying for things that are just for me or things that I don't know his will, maybe someone's dying and I'm praying and praying and praying that God will spare their life, but I'm not praying confidently because I don't know what God's will is. Maybe it's time for them to leave. And if that's the case, then my prayer is against God's will. And that's when I put my hand over my mouth. I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I have overstepped my bounds. And sometimes we don't know that until it's all finished. But Paul's point here is to understand that when we are praying to God, we are praying to someone who is beyond our comprehension. He's the sovereign ruler over the entire creation. Uh, he's eternal. He is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's all-powerful. And I am praying to a God who is so far above me that I can't even comprehend it. And so when we go through the Old Testament passages and we go through the, the scriptures, and we begin to understand these things by looking at the different examples of the different people. Tonight, uh, we, we've, in this podcast, we've, we've talked about Abraham, and we've talked about Moses, and we've talked about uh, Esther, and Jeremiah, and Habakkuk, and, and James kind of sums all of this up. And so uh, our last verse that we want to talk about this evening is uh, in James chapter 5. And Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Okay, sure. My brethren, take the prophets 
who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And so that really sums it up. God allowed these people to go through their life. Some of them were, you remember what Stephen said, which of the prophets did you not persecute? And you killed the ones who prophesied of the Messiah, of whom you have become the murderers. And so these people, these Old Testament prophets that he's describing here, they prayed and prayed and prayed. And yet God allowed them to go through the suffering to gain the patience. And yet, as he points out, the end intended by the Lord is compassion and mercy. So God sees things from an eternity perspective. We see things from a time perspective. When we look at things, we only think of of the short-term problems and solutions. God is looking at the long-term. And by long-term, I don't mean 20 or 30 years. I mean eternity. When I've spent 10,000 years in eternity praising and glorifying God, I'm going to look back on those five years or 10 years or 20 years where God seemingly didn't hear my prayers because it wasn't in my best interest for him to answer that prayer. So maybe I will go through my life with pain. Maybe I will go through my life with poverty and suffering and, and loss. But I need to trust God that this will ultimately end with his compassion and his mercy, and that he can work out my salvation and help me get to heaven. And my prayers certainly are suggestions to him when it's not according to his will, but I am more than happy when he says, no, no, you can't have that. No, Alan, I'm sorry, that's not in your best interest. I'm sorry, that doesn't fit into my plan right now. And as a godly servant, I'm going to say, thank you, Father. I thank you that you heard this prayer, and I thank you that you said no, because I was wrong to ask for these things. So the, the real point of this, of this uh, uh, podcast is to help us understand the single most important point. And that is that when I'm praying for those things that God has told me to pray for and has told me what his will is and has told me what he will do if I pray for this, I can have confidence, I can have comfort, I can have boldness, I can know that God is going to do these things for me. But once I leave the realm of the revealed will of God in the scriptures, I'm walking into uncharted territory. I'm walking into the secret things that belong to God. I'm walking into the things where I can't become his counselor. And I can't be the one who can give to him and have it repaid. I understand that. And I understand that God is infinitely wiser. He loves more than I love. He cares more than I care. He has uh, wisdom beyond my comprehension. And so when I ask God for things, because I think they're best, and he doesn't see it that way, wouldn't I be happier if he didn't give it to me? And yet, oftentimes, as Christians, we find ourselves grumbling, at least on the inside, because we've asked God for something that we think we really need, and it hasn't come. And we start feeling a little bit like Job. But remember, that as the scripture points out, you see the end. After it's all over, you see that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. And so we, our prayers are going to reflect our trust and confidence of the things that we've heard and our humility and trust and confidence that God may say no if I, if I ask for something that's not according to his will. So I hope our listeners can make that vital distinction. It, it makes such a difference in our prayers when we are praying mature. We are praying maturely. We are praying like a mature Christian. We are confidently asking God for the things he's asked us to be confident about, and we are humbly asking for God for those things in which we know he knows better than we do, and we want him to do his will. We are simply asking him, like Jesus did in the garden, we let him know what we want, and then we say, nevertheless, 
not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes we need to verbalize that. Sometimes in our prayers, we need to verbalize, Father, this is what I want, but not my will, but your will be done. And if we can learn how to do that, we are going to become very powerful and our prayers will go up before him as a memorial, just like Cornelius did. Yeah, very good thoughts, Alan, and, and so very important to understand what the will of God is, as you mentioned. Uh, before we ask you to give a preview of what we're going to talk about in our next episode, Jeff, uh, any final thoughts from you? You know, Brian, yeah, there is another area that I'd like to you know, maybe spend a few moments on and ha- get, uh, get Alan's uh, perspective. Uh, you know, there's a number of different things that, uh, you know, people may do today, you know, things they may pray for or, or the way they pray that has not been revealed in the scriptures. Uh, and, of course, there might be a question of, well, since it's not been revealed, maybe we should do it in a humble manner to God. But there's a, another aspect that says, well, maybe it's something we shouldn't be praying for at all, even though it has not been revealed. And, you know, I'll just kind of give you a sense of the things I'm thinking of. Uh, Some people may say, well, you know, I like to pray to the Virgin Mary and ask her certain things, uh, certain favors, or some other deceased uh, person, quote unquote, a a saint, for them to do something for us. Or, you know, I might want to pray to God to save someone who's now dead or pray to get them out of purgatory or... I may want to pray to God that he's going to go save some, you know, very, you know, chronic, persistent, you know, willful sinner, you know, potentially, if it's, especially if it's like a family, you know, a relative or friend, um, or maybe even, God, you know, pray to God to save us, you know, via something that a lot of people call the sinner's prayer. Um, things that are not really revealed in scripture. So can we approach God humbly with these kinds of things or because it's not revealed, had we better just keep our mouth shut? Well, you're you're hitting on some things that are deeply troubling because they, they cross into so many areas. Uh, some people pray to different gods. Some people pray to people, as you say, to saints or to Mary. And But as we noted in our very first podcast, Before we can start talking to God, we have to listen to him. If we come to him or talk to him through other means, then he is decreed. Uh, Jesus is our mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, himself, man, Jesus Christ. When I pray, I always pray in Jesus' name because he is the only one. I pray directly to God because God has asked me to pray directly to him. But I pray to him with the understanding that because Jesus died on the cross, I have the right to come to him. And it's only because Jesus died on the cross. And so every prayer that I pray, excuse me, every prayer that I pray, it comes from that kind of a heart. And But you're right, Jeff, when, when you start adding human wisdom to prayer, just like you add human wisdom to salvation or worship or the church, you end up with rebellion and you end up with the exact opposite of what God is looking for. So that's a that's a really, really good point you've made. Appreciate that, Alan. Uh, Brian, back to you to, I guess, wrap up tonight's podcast. Yeah, so we uh, want to, Alan, give you a chance also to let our listeners know what you will be talking about in our next episode, and then uh, we will wrap this one up. Sure. Uh, the next episode, I, I, I hope that I have not left the wrong impression with anyone that when we pray for things that God hasn't revealed, that he's not going to answer. Because as we read in James chapter 5, the supplication of a righteous man avails much in its working. And so every prayer that I pray, every prayer, is going to go to the God the creator of the heavens and the earth, he's going to hear that prayer. And if it can be changing, if it, it if he can change anything with it, he will. If he can't, then he won't. And I say can't, I don't mean by can't that he doesn't have the power to do it, but that is out of love, he won't do it. 
So our next podcast, we're going to talk about the power of prayer, the power of the righteous prayer, and how we can become very valuable to the people around us because of our righteous prayers. Excellent. Well, we appreciate uh, you going through these different elements of prayer. We ask our listeners to hang in there. We know that there's been several episodes, but hopefully you found these different principles, some of which, Alan, I'm guessing some may not really have thought about. We hope that our listeners will find them beneficial, and we hope that you will join us for our next episode. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.